Good morning, Cyril. Hey, good morning. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? Good. Are you at the office? Um, oh, home. As much as the office is the office, yeah. <laughs> well, I can see you have your coffee. That's good, at least. That's one good Saw thing in notes. the morning. Oh, yes. Have you had time to listen to your song? Um, I kind of sing my song every morning when I wake up. Marietta makes fun of it. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I could go and explain to you the whole thing, but I think you've already know enough. So I, 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 I propose we just jump into it. And um, the first part is basically, you know, getting to learn, you know, learn to know you or learn about you and, your childhood, where you were born, and kind of your personality traits, get to know as a human side of it. And the second would be the, I really want to do this. Um, well, it could be one, I really want to do this, like the, your first one, like I, when you really felt, I want to do this, and how did you make it happen? Or it could be a series of several moments, or it could be in general, when I want to do something, this is what I do. I'm interested in what the what because that's a support for the conversation um but it doesn't have to be all about it of course it's a little bit of so storytelling you know how podcasts go so that but then i'm trying uh, i'll try to extract from you if there's any pattern or method mm -hmm. and the reason i want to understand your personality is because i want listeners to identify what kind of personality you are and maybe they're like you and say oh this is he thinks exactly like me and that's how he works to make things happen. And so maybe, you know, they can take ideas and, and, um, and tips for their own, own pro uh, projects. Yeah. But also I'm trying to make it very authentic and even vulnerable in some, some points. So feel free to say as much or little as you want about anything, but I'll, through my questions, that's what I'm trying to get is trying to Hey, you know, tell me more about this. And maybe there's going to be something you'd say decline to say what, but, but I think it, it can lead to some really interesting conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Uh, I'm going to give you the five second silence and start the podcast. If you um, see me not looking at the camera. Oh, by the way, we're not going to use uh, the video on the podcast, but it's just so that we could look at each other. And if you see me not looking at the camera, it's because I'm looking at my notes. And a question, do you do it just uh, like run it verbatim or do you edit it sometimes afterwards? Oh, I can edit anything. If you come back to me and say, you know, that part, can we remove it? I can remove it or anything. Okay. And usually I also try to edit it so that the, uh, or, or the, the, the way we speak, like just like that, my hesitation, I, 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 I I remove that, you know, I remove the repetition, like, mm, you know, um, well, you know what I mean? You know, sort of all that kind of thing so that it makes something much more clean in terms of audio. But I really try to keep the essence of the conversation. For instance, if you're someone who is really trying to think before you talk, I'm not going to remove the silence because it's part of the way you, you think. Right. If it's something like with Oscar Chalupsky, it was so much I had to remove a lot. Otherwise, it would have been so broken. Uh, but I really tried to keep it true to the, the personality of the, the guest. Yeah. OK. All right. Let's give it five seconds. Hi, everyone. This is Cyril. And this is a podcast. I really want to do this. Today is Monday morning, bright and early. <laughs> it's 930 a.m in California and we have a, a great guest today that I'm really excited to talk about, we are to talk with. 
And his name is John. John, how are you today? I am great, Cyril. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're on it. All right. So for the listeners that don't know you, can you tell us where you are right now? I am sitting in a, a little office in our house in San Rafael, about, uh, about a quarter mile away from some wetlands and uh, the North Bay, San Pablo Bay. San Pablo Bay, so it's Northern California, right? Yeah, yeah. We're about 20 minutes from the bridge. Okay, good. So for the listeners, I have to do as if I didn't know you. <laughs> Although, in all transparency, we have to say that John and I, we see about each other about two or three times a week because we're friends and paddlers and we meet on the water. Um, so, John, let's go back to the beginning, which is a long time ago when you were born. <laughs> back when dinosaurs were on the earth. <laughs> Tell us where you were born and what was life back when you were a kid? Um, I grew up in... Uh... Uh, Ohio, southwestern Ohio, little town called Eaton, Ohio, um, 5,000 people. Oh, wow, um, just like me. I was 5,000 inhabitants, yeah. Well, I, th I think Ohio is a little different than France. Oh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, corn, wheat, soybeans, hogs, cattle, uh, yeah. And um, uh, yeah, that's where I'm from. The countryside. Yeah. Yeah, we lived you, about five miles out of town. And do you call it the countryside? Did you have like even country music or what kind of? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was flat. Uh, the people are nice. Um, it's, it's uh, I don't know. It was a nice place to grow up. Uh, we had to drive to Indiana if we wanted to see a movie. Uh, there was no movie theater in town. Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah it was uh and then i went to school uh at kent state ohio state um people would ask me where i went to school i'd say oh back east uh, <laughs> okay tell me about your parents and your sibling and how was it on a on a daily basis when you grew up uh two quiet. older sisters uh -huh. uh, yeah two older sisters and um Mom and dad, dad was an attorney and later a judge in town. Uh, they were pretty involved in the uh, community. Um, my sisters were really active in uh, band and choir and drama. Um, and so anytime they needed a little kid for a part in a, in a musical, uh, they, they'd grab me, um, which was a lot of fun. Um, well, a drama at home too, or? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there was a little drama at home. Well, tell me how it is to have two sisters, because I've got three brothers and one sister. I don't I have no clue. Uh, my, my older sister was definitely in charge. Mary was definitely in charge. Uh, and uh, I was like they were like two bulldozers uh, uh, mowing down things in front of me. You know, I was I was the little I was the only son. I, I, I had it, you know, pr pr pretty easy with those two in front of me. Well, they loved you like like their little brother was it like this or uh uh yeah i mean they doted on me a little bit but they also like kept me in line um and and uh you know i mean parents parents make mistakes with kids and mm -hmm. and uh i think my parents made all the mistakes that they were going to make with the first two and also by the time they got to me they were tired uh, <laughs> i remember in high school coming home one time and and uh, you know, I was late getting home. It's like, you know, quarter after midnight. And I, you know, knocked on my parents' door and I said, uh, mom, dad, you know, I wrecked the car. Um, and uh, I hear this voice say, anybody hurt? I said, nope. Is car at home? Yep. We'll talk about it in the morning. And if that had been one of my sisters, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It wouldn't have been near that easy. Yes, I know. Oh, it's true. The first one I have to kind of go through all the pain and oh yeah, you gotta figure it out. Yeah, it's you gotta how, how much difference in age is there between your older sister and you? Um uh Mary, let's see. I'm 60, Mary's uh 66. 
now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so six, yeah, and then Suzanne is, is three years older than me. Mary might be six. No, she's sixty-six. And you are? I'm sixty. Okay, so like six years difference. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. What What was your mom profession? Uh, she uh, was it. Uh, she went to college as a teacher, uh, got a teaching degree, and uh, then uh, she was more of a stay-at-home mom, working at home, and then active in uh, civic organizations, United Way. She founded uh, the local historical society um, uh, and was pretty active uh, with local issues, um, probate court, um, uh, doing interviews with families and uh, uh, child services, Preble County Child Services. Uh, yeah, they were pretty plugged in. So um, both of your parents were pretty educated and intellectual, would you say, or how would you describe them in, in general? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, I, uh, my dad never graduated from high school. Uh-huh. Um, he, he tested into University of, uh, or what was it? Chicago. He went to um, University of Illinois in Chicago, I think, and uh, got kicked out for bad grades, uh, got drafted, um, went, went to Korea, wow. and uh, then came back and uh, thought, you know, I, I got to get, you know, I got to get something going here, um, and uh, started going to Miami University and took classes there and then figured out that wasn't for him and uh, tested into law school. He didn't graduate from college, but he tested into law school. Mm. Uh, and that's the, that's the only thing that he graduated from. Um, and then went on to be an a, a attorney in our little town. Um, his father was an attorney. Uh, his grandfather was an attorney. Um, I think I was the you know first son um you know in the family to like not go into law mm. uh, but yeah he was a small town attorney um a couple of the farmers that he did taxes for would pay him in chickens uh live chickens uh that was a little bit of that uh, friction we were talking about earlier when he would bring the bag of uh, live chickens home <laughs> uh, and well, uh, so tell me about his experience in in korea so he was did he consider He was a veteran, obviously. And was he, was he considered a veteran? You know how? Did you yeah. Um, and he was nervous going over there because he was a good shot. And, and his, uh, he, was, he was a marksman. Um, and fortunately for him, when he got there, uh, they needed somebody to drive a truck. And he was like, I can do that. Um, and so he was not on the front lines in, in Korea, which he was thankful for. Okay. And, and he was, he had offers to stay in the military, of course. And, uh, but he just like, mm, I'm, I'm going to do my tour and, and then I'm going to get out of here. So tell me, do, do you think uh, this influenced his way of life or he, the way he saw life and how he, when he came back and that trickled down to your, the way he educated you in terms of life? Or? I think it gave him some structure. Uh, which he needed. Um, he was, uh, he had an older sister uh, who um, was just amazing, who, who died young. Um, and he was, he was a surprise. He was 16 years younger than his, his mm. sister, Suzanne. And when she died, it really uh, kind of like broke that family. Um, and for, for, I think in, in some ways forever. Uh, and, you know, he, he was not that close with his parents. Uh, th- he, was, he was basically off leash uh, mm-hmm. f- uh, for the whole time he was growing up. But um, uh, my mom uh, gave him, you know, some structure uh, and the military uh, gave him uh, some structure. Yeah, I think that military affected is definitely affected mm. Uh, him, you know, getting his act together and going to law school and, and uh, passing the bar. So tell me about when you, you were a kid, about your, the personality traits that you had. Uh, and I'm interested in the ones you think you, you had naturally, like personality traits that you had, or, and the ones that you 
you built over time? Uh, uh, I was kind of, definitely kind of a dreamer, very into art, uh, uh, was not a good athlete, um, uh, a little, you know, kind of unfocused. And uh, yeah, and, and still, I guess I am still a bit of a, a, a dreamer. Mm. Uh, and 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 hopefully have a little bit more focus now was it hard to have that personality in that environment of like back then it was still very was it very macho like in the countryside or like did you fit in or did you feel like you were oh uh i didn't always fit in um like i said wasn't a good athlete uh i got my varsity letter on the chess team um mm -hmm. you know night takes pawn Big excitement. Uh, but I can't understand it because you're, knowing you, we paddle, you're such a good athlete. So is it that you just didn't find the sport that you liked or you'd have no interest? Water. Water yeah. makes it work for me. I'm mm -hmm. bad on land. Uh, but uh, swimming, um, sailing, uh, canoe, kayak, all the, all the, the paddle sports, um, Uh, I can row rough water. I, I can't row shells. I, I, I never, never, I was never any good at, at mm -hmm. that. Um, but uh, and so, I, so I, when did that start? The how did it start? Oh, um, uh, my grandfather bought a cottage in uh, 1937, I think, uh, in the Depression up in northern Michigan um, for like 500 bucks or 600 bucks, something ridiculous like that. Uh, and it was right on Lake Michigan. Uh, and uh, when we were growing up, we would, uh, uh, you know, when I was little, we'd just go, go up there for maybe, you know, four or five days. That was about all the, the grandparents could handle, um, you know, three kids in the house and mom and dad is pretty crowded. Um, and uh, that's where in later years, that's where I learned to sail. Um, My mom had to like force me to go down to the sale house. I would just did not want to go down there. And after the first day, they just couldn't tear me away. Um, and uh, enjoyed swimming. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of poked around with swim team, never really did anything with it, um, but enjoyed it. And uh, didn't really discover uh, paddle sports until I was, was out here. Um, there's great paddling back in the Midwest. Great, you know, history of canoe racing and uh, uh, canoe tripping. And uh, I, I didn't know anything about it until I got out to San Francisco Bay and saw people out on the bay. Mm. So being a self-described dreamer, uh, what did you like about sailing and being on the water when you started oh. that? Oh, boy. Um, well, Just anything around water. Uh, I, I think I read once that, uh, you know, water stimulates the pleasure centers of the brain. Uh, and that just like made perfect sense to me. You know, if I, if I fall down on land, I'm going to hit something hard. If I fall down in the water, I just jump in and start swimming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, sailing, uh, I, I don't sail that much anymore. But just the, the beauty of uh, working with the wind and the waves and, you know, trimming the sails so that they're, you know, most mm -hmm. efficient and uh, just, you know, making that work. Um, and so you're kind of a perfectionist a little bit in, in the way you approach things. Like, how does that work? And a, how can I make it better? Or, to a certain know. extent, yeah. I've, I've never been, uh, I'm, I'm more of a generalist, I think. Yeah, uh, but you I've like never, to understand how things work so that they're efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. making them work, you know, at 110%. Um, I, I can't do that, but I can make them work up to about 95%. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. This gives us a, a lot of um, information about your personality because here's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. He's trying to understand how people with their personality that they were born with and how they built it and the environment and the education and where they were born, how they make things happen, no matter what. So, oh, but before we go to the second part, do you have a motto? Do I have a motto? Um, what could go wrong? Wow, tell me more about it. 
I, I, I could see the potential of it, but tell me how you, you see it. Well, because I mean, I kept like, here's what I think. I'm 45. How many times I was, was I fearful of doing something like I could break something. I could get hurt. I could get caught. Everything went by because I'm back to being normal. You know, whatever I did in the past 45 years were just non-existent because I got over it. But tell me your side. I like it. What could go wrong? Well, I think it has. It, 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 it's an, I had good mentors, uh, really good mentors uh, developing that. Um, and, you know, in being like getting comfortable with the situation, getting comfortable with risk uh, and looking at like whitewater uh, and scouting a rapid and running it like again and again and again in your in your head and running it different ways and making sure that, okay, I've got plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, and you run it again and again, and you make sure that each one of those works. You know, if one of them doesn't work, then you probably like put your, the boat on your shoulder and you carry. Um, and I remember looking at rapids and with friends and, and doing that and saying, okay, you know, drop through the center slot, uh, work right, catch the eddy, spin around that, you know, big ramp drop. Uh, then next drop is uh, far left, uh, work through this little boulder garden and, you know, uh, then catch the eddy on the right at the bottom. And we'd all look at each other and go, what could go wrong? Uh, and, 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 you know, that's kind of the joke end of it. But in, the, in our heads, we're making sure that, you know, we're safe and that, that yeah. nothing is going to go wrong. So do you think you apply this um, to everything you do? Like Sure. Um, well, not everything I do out on the water. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely. Uh, and, and go through, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, you know, do we have a bailout? Uh, you know, what do we do in situation A? What do we do if there's, you know, heavy traffic uh, out on the bay? You know, what do we do if, you know, the tide's not doing what we thought it was? Yeah, you run through all those in your head and make sure you got a plan. So basically, it's, it's a view of trying to see the problems that could occur and trying to find a solution before they occur. Yeah, yeah. Don't just be reactive. So uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting way of seeing life because you're, you're problem solving before the problem even happens. So, and it's freeing too, because you say, well, really, we looked at everything that could go wrong. If something really goes wrong, we'll adapt basically, but you could do anything with that motto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, what could go wrong? I mean... It, you have the other way, which is, what could go wrong? Nothing. That, that's the way I explained it to you at the beginning. It's like, what could go wrong? Nothing can go wrong. In the end, really nothing can go wrong. But, yeah. And I think you have to take it a little bit tongue-in-cheek. You, you, know, you can get yourself into trouble that way, too. Uh, <laughs> in my head, you know, first you do the planning and make sure that it's going to work. And then you tell yourself, well, what could go wrong? <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. I love this. Um, let's go into the, I really want to do this. My idea is to find a moment or a general feeling that you get when you want to do something. And I'm really interested in the, in the power of, or the motivation that is behind an objective. So I tried to identify the moment where you really felt that little energy, like, I want to do this. Like, I really want to do this. And because I, I feel like if we listen to this and the listeners, I invite them to look at them in their own lives. When did you feel the last time that you wanted to really wanted to do something? And, and then how do you make it happen? So that's why looking at your personality at the beginning is very important because I want people to associate their personality with yours maybe and see how you did it. So do you have a moment uh, in mind where you had that feeling, I really want to do this? Um, yeah, uh, it would have been, uh, kind of a, a milestone for me, uh, was around 2000, I think like 2005, uh, I had been, 
uh, out of boating for quite a while. I had some pretty serious health problems back in 2001, and I was uh, in the in the hospital for about 10 days, um, recovering. And uh, then the health problems lingered, and uh, I was uh, I, I couldn't paddle. Um, and finally, around 2000, late 2004, 2005, I thought, you know, I'm, and I was having some uh, uh, psychological problems. I was, I was depressed yeah. um, because, you know, I, I was not in control of my life at that time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, finally, one day I thought, I've, I've got to get back on the water. I've got to, I've got to get a boat. And I found a, uh, a flatwater boat. I, I knew I couldn't do whitewater because I, I felt like it would be stupid to be away from, you know, medical care, you know, yep. out in some canyon somewhere. Um, and so I found a, a flatwater boat, a, 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 a K1, an older K1 racer uh, for like 300 bucks on yeah. Craigslist. And uh, I, I can't even remember who I bought it from, somebody in San Francisco. And I was driving north and I thought, I'm going to get on the water right now. And I didn't have a, I didn't have a life jacket. I had a paddle. Uh, I didn't have any gear. It was a nice summer evening. Um, and uh, it was like, it wasn't dark yet, but it was starting to get dark. And I just thought, I'm just going to go down to uh, Schoonmacher beach and just paddle it around at the beach. You know, I'm not going to do anything stupid uh, and, and go out on the bay. And, I got in the boat and it felt pretty good. And, and I thought, well, you know, we'll just poke outside the marina a little bit. Uh, and it was nice and flat on Richardson Bay. And I said, well, you know, we can poke up towards the Richardson Bay Bridge. We're not going to go out towards the Golden Gate. Um, but, and, and I just paddled along, you know, in, in the, it was very quiet. There was nobody else out. And uh, the tide was kind of low. I didn't realize that until I uh, got further up next to the bridge and started hitting mud uh, with my paddle. And then I stopped and I bumped into uh, a nest of either like bat rays or halibut or some kind of bottom fish. And the water all around me just starts like jumping like popcorn. Um, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've paddled into a school of rays. One of them's going to sting me. I'm going to flip over and die right in the mud, uh, like like six inches of water. And, and I was like, okay. So and and like I said, I didn't have any paddling gear. I was just paddling a pair of old dress slacks and a white shirt. Um, and so it's like, okay, let's let's head 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 back. Uh, and uh, I got back. I got almost all the way back to Schoonmacher Point, and one of the big uh, uh, boats that was moored there. Their, uh, their bilge pump goes off uh, and just like slams into the, the side of the boat and uh, drenches me with bilge water. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I didn't flip over and, and pulled the, the uh, uh, boat in. And that was, that was the start of me getting, getting my health back and getting my life back uh, at that time with like huge, huge support from my wife at home um, who had been like, you know, taking care of me and keeping me online this whole time. Um, and with that um, and some understanding employers, I was able to get, you know, get my fitness back and get my head on stream. Mm. Um, and then I discovered uh, surf skis uh, and went to a few surf ski races with my flatwater boat. Uh, got my oh. ass kicked. Uh, yeah, they, 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 that was that was a real eye-opening experience. I didn't know what a surf ski was, um, and uh, then yeah, uh, got to the point where I could you know race at nationals and uh, do you know local races and you know be respectful. You're back on track. Okay, so let's let's go back for, for a second. I want to look at the why. You, you were in a bite point in your life. You tell me if I'm wrong. And you were at a moment where you said, I really want not to be that in that situation anymore. Yeah. Like you were done with it. Like, like, and then you search for what can I do to get out of that hole? 
and or I really want to do this is really I really want to feel better. But the objectives was not to start paddling for the objective to spend to to do a big goal like a big race or paddle for 20 years. It was just I'm going to do this one thing that I know will give me a little bit of pleasure that so you said I, I bought the boat and then you started paddling so that was your decision really not very consequential but just to say I know this that I like and I'm just going to do it and I'm well I miss the community too mm. the paddling community uh, I, and I missed um, not only being out on the water myself but uh, helping other people uh, to get on the water uh, mm. got a uh, I had really good mentors when I started. Oh, yes, yes. I, sorry, I, want, I wanted to ask you, I don't want to forget this. Tell me about those mentors oh. that you mentioned earlier that were very important for you. Well, um, I, I first saw kayakers when we would be uh, sailing and we would uh, race in the big boat series. And I was on four deck and we had this tippy little 29 footer and we'd just get plowed and knocked down uh, on the bay. And I, one day I saw kayakers as we we're flying around uh, trying to get a, a spinnaker under control. And they were just so relaxed uh, out by Alcatraz, you know, mm -hmm. riding waves. And I just thought, that's it. And I found uh, this guy, Reg Lake, uh, Pier 66 Paddle Sports. And I signed up for classes with Reg. Uh, he taught me to paddle. And um, uh, we were on the bay, but one day I sat in a riverboat and I said, oh, this is it. This is much better. Uh, and, and I bought a riverboat from Reg. I think it was like the only time I ever paid like full retail for a boat. Uh, <laughs> and then um, at work one day, uh, I, I noticed this uh, blonde woman who was working across the street at a bakery. And the, our, our, uh, our office manager comes in and she says, you know, that girl across the street, she knows how to paddle. And that's all I needed to hear. And I went across the street and I asked her out, asked her if, if she wanted to go paddle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was uh, my two years later, we were married. <laughs> I didn't know that, that when I asked her to go paddle, that she was a two-time whitewater world champion. Um, and I made the mistake of, of asking my girlfriend at the time uh, to come to the same barbecue that we were going to. Uh, <laughs> so it was kind of a rocky start. Um, but, the, but Marietta uh, um, really, you know, showed me the finer points of paddling. Uh, and her brother, her brother, Dave, who was a, a five-time, is a five-time Olympian. Um, and, and, uh, he, he really showed me like flat water technique and, and technique with the wing. I thought I was pretty good. I'd taken clinics from Chuck Stanley and I was racing slalom uh, and Marietta was giving me some coaching. And then I paddled with Dave and uh, Dave finally said, he said, here, let me show you how to hold the paddle. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, I had really, really good mentors. Okay. So these mentors you're talking about, the paddling technique or kayaking technique, let's say in general. Tell me more about the human side of the mentorship that they probably gave you because the, the people we spend time with, we do the one activity together, but there's usually something we really like about them and that they teach us. Mm -hmm. Is there, can you extract some of the things you've learned from those three people? Well, um, I guess to put it in a nutshell, uh, I think that the, the best instructors and, you know, paddlers uh, that have helped me, um, they support your needs, whatever those are. Uh, you know, you look at a student and you figure out, you know, what do they need? You know, mm. uh, are they comfortable on the boat? Do we just need to work on stability? Do I need to distract them and talk about something else? Uh, mm -hmm. am, am I trying to uh, get their mind, you know, out of it and just let yeah. their body, you know, feel the water? Um, mm -hmm. That's what that's what I learned from uh, the people that taught me as mm -hmm. to 
to look at somebody and figure out, well, what do they need? And just give them what they need. Because as soon as you get like scared in the boat, the learning opportunity is gone. Mm-hmm. You, you want people to be comfortable and supported. Mm. Do you feel you're, you, you use that teaching skills later on during your life? During maybe your, your, did you enjoy? I try to. I try to. Every once in a while, it doesn't work so well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then it's, it's time to take a break, you know, whether that's, that's paddling or, or, or something else or try a, try a different direction. Um, What, so let's, let's jump on that idea. So these could be considered roadblocks in, term of, in that case in teaching, but in general, how do you approach roadblocks or problem solving? I, I really like the fact that at some point, like in that moment, you decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to find a solution to get myself out of it. And you find a solution. But in general, when, when you have an issue, how do you approach? What's your, your philosophy of problem solving? Well, you just, I mean, if you run into a block with somebody, you just try another way. You know, and, and people learn in different ways. Some people are touchy, feely. Uh, some people are, you know, um, you know, monkey see, monkey do. You know, show me an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some people are, are uh, thinkers and, and, and uh, analysts. Um, and uh, I think that's the, that's the group that I have the, the trickiest time with. Because, you know, paddling and water sports, for me, they're so touchy-feely. Uh, and, and uh, you know, lead by example. Uh, and if somebody's, if I'm trying to teach somebody how to roll and they want to stop and think about it and analyze it, um, um, mm. I'm just like, no, just shut up, you know, <laughs> your hands. We're going to flip upside down here. I'm going to guide you through this. You know, and I'm trying to touch and feel with them. And they're just like, well, let's talk about that for a while. You know, it's like, yeah. no, just be quiet. <laughs> learn from the body yeah so so i have tr- i have trouble with the analyst so it's going back to li- i mean listening listening to the whoever the student is and giving it what they need but probably changing different methods different uh, different people huh? yeah. it takes a lot to understand uh, other people's it's a good skill to have to understand have that empathy of how people see things and best way to, to give it to them. Do you think it's a natural skill that you have? Hmm. Uh, I think I've learned, again, I, I think I've been fortunate to learn from people that have yeah, displayed that well. Um, and I guess I apply that at, at, uh, in my off-water work too, in, in, in design and um, you know, working with a client. Some people read plans. You know, some people don't. Uh, some people, you know, want a, a spreadsheet list of, you know, everything that's involved in the job. Other people are, you know, they want to look at a, a, a pretty picture, the, the, the gimme shot for what the project yeah. looks like at the end. Um, that's emotional intelligence, isn't it? Or do you think it's a skill that people are like the new generation is going to have a hard time with? I feel like sometimes those new kids are so much onto social media and all these that that's those who are going to be successful are the ones that have that emotional intelligence. Um, for me, you gained that by be, being with communities of like new communities, like traveling for me is the best way to get that emotional intelligence. Um, Just exposure to other cultures and other people. Yeah. Yeah. And different uh, social levels. Uh, I'm just very, very flexible, but, um, but okay. So you tell me about problem solving when there's other people's problem, but tell me about yours. Like, do you have any roadblocks these days you feel in your life like, that you want to change or something? And, and how do you approach it? You just go right into the problem or do you just wait for the universe to go around? And what's your methodology? Oh, I'm pretty bad at it. um honestly it's like i try and train myself to to like run at the problem um Mm -hmm. and uh but but sometimes that's that's harder to do than others and 
So here's no, the thing. Not the problem, but I I will procrastinate. I will procrastinate. I will I will leave that piece of mail that I really don't want to read mm. that letter. I think I know what it says, but I don't want to know what, what's in there. I'll just leave that sit there for you know four or five days and mm. let it let it grind away on me in the back of my head. It's like okay, John, just get over it. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the same way. Sometimes that anything that I know I don't want to do or I don't feel like I can do, I'm going to be stuck. And one method I've started to develop is I'm actually very good at giving advice to other people. <laughs> like any problem they have, I, I can give advice on how to solve that problem. <laughs> But when it's me, I don't know how to find it. So one way I, I started to do is what if I had to teach myself how to solve the problem, like an extra, like a double personality kind of thing? Like, okay, I'm going to show you how to do this. How about you start by doing it? as if it, it was helping somebody else? Um, you, you, you treat, you, you create a serial client in your head. Exactly. Talk. Like, I don't know how to do a website. So I'll be stuck on creating a website. But if, if you say, hey, do you know how to create a website? No, I don't. But how about we go to Google and you write, create a website. And then there's three or four YouTube videos. So seeing that tiny example, I can help you find anything because I've, but if it were me, it was like, I don't know how to create a website. I have no idea what, you know oh it's funny but i sometimes i would let the universe find find a way <laughs> maybe you know time will just tell me the right direction uh, it's what i'm doing right now it's been three months since my first attempt to cross the ocean and i know i should get a job but um, i'm looking at it i'm not really finding and okay well maybe in a month you know universe will help me and <laughs> what feels right Uh, we'll see. Um, do you have an objective that uh, you really want to do? And tell me, how do you, like in general, if you have an objective, what's your method? Do you uh, write it down? Uh, do you have a spreadsheet or do you just do, well, I kind of know I have six weeks to do this. So I'm going to do first week, two weeks. Tell me your process of making things happen. Um. Oh, uh, yeah. Setting goals, uh, looking at, yeah, looking at what's required to, to, to get there mm -hmm. you know, and then analyzing, you know, well, can I do that? Um, what are the positives and negatives of that? You know, uh, if those are going to have negative impacts on the people around me, mm -hmm. uh, you know, do I, do I back off from that? Do I, do I try and mitigate those, those disadvantages? You know, can I mitigate those? Uh, am I going to have to you know, set a different goal? Um, I'd like to, I, I tried to do the, uh, uh, the Yukon uh, on a stand-up paddleboard and pulled out. You were there. Mm. Pulled out after 175 miles. And uh, I'd really like to go back and, and do that race again. Um, I do it in a canoe with a partner uh, this time. I now understand really well why those French fur trappers paddled canoes and not stand up paddle boards. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The canoe makes more sense. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know that I want to put um, my family, you know, through that. Um, not everybody's comfortable with that. Um, so maybe the Missouri 340. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, segue over, over to that. Uh, so you seem to be pretty moderate in, in your goals. Like, I'd like to do this and I'd, I'd like to make it happen, but if it doesn't, it's okay. And you readjust your goals to to the situation or to what you just said? Uh, or? Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to pick like reasonable goals. Uh, I'm not trying to punch too far above my weight, um, you know, and, and yes, yeah, reach something that's like, I, I think is attainable and, and reasonable for me. Um, and I'm doing, you, you know, paddle sport for me is just as much about like community and personal health and growth mm -hmm. as it is about like specific goals. Um, and, you know, I beat myself up a little bit about the, you know, pulling out of the Yukon. Um, but I think it was the right decision to do. 
so I'm not gonna, you know, make myself grovel too hard over that. Yeah, uh, we always, always try to rationalize saying, well, you know, the rivers is always going to be there, just like I said, the ocean will always be here next next year. And um, hmm. and sometimes, I, you know, sometimes I, I I get surprised. I set a goal that, you know, when I was climbing out of my health crisis, that I wanted to do uh, the Surski Champs. Uh, and the first uh, Surski Champs that I did, it was like cold and blowy, and you know, the ocean is just really rolling around. And we got out around Point Bonita, and I just thought, man, this looks this looks bad. Gnarly. I'm, I'm going to drop out. I'm, I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to go back. And I, it took me a little while to turn the ski around in the waves. And then I looked back towards the, the Golden Gate about three miles inside, and I thought, holy smokes, it looks even bigger back there. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, well, heck. If I just paddled through that, I can keep going. And I, so I just did another 180. Did you? <laughs> and, and, and hit the gas and tried to catch up to the boat in front of me. And it was like, just don't. There was a Jim Michaels was in front of me. And I was like, just don't let Jim out of my sight. You know, just keep going. And, and it worked out, you know, and I was ready to give up. And uh, but circumstances helped me keep going. Oh, that's great. So the next big uh, objective is the uh, Mizuru 340. Oh, it's um, next big next objective is uh, paddle wise is uh, a little marathon up in Petaluma, um, right. and uh, then Sea Trek race, and uh, just to support the paddling, um, try and be responsible off the water, uh, make some money, keep my clients happy, keep family happy, and uh, then. Uh, 7048 race in uh, Puget Sound in the spring. That was uh, that was wonderful doing that with Amy Byers mm. and um, Cal 100. I haven't missed a Cal 100 yet. Now California River Quest. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a little bit of a quandary because the uh, the California River Quest is the weekend before the 7048. So that's 170 miles of competitive paddling and inside of uh, eight days. Um, so, but the, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do those races just to do them um, and, and to compete in them and enjoy them. Um, I'm not going to do them to try and, you know, really like win both of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if we're five miles from the finish and we're leading, okay, then we'll it's push. <laughs> Or, or, you know, we can see the line and, and, you know, there's only one or two boats ahead of us. Oh, yeah, we're pouring on the coal. Uh, but I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I want to go, before we go to conclusions, I want you to talk about your involvement in, in the environment, in the rivers, and your nonprofit that you created. Mm -hmm. and, and the reasons why you created, like, I would think that because the water helped you at some point in your life, you, you want to, in some ways, give it back and, and unconsciously maybe, or just care for it. Tell me more about uh, your, the nonprofit that you're involved in and what, what do they do and, yeah. and why? Yeah, Rivers for Change. And, uh, you know, we like to say that uh, we connect source to sea uh, and our focus is on uh, source to sea literacy uh, knowledge and experience, uh, how these uh, rivers uh, are really our, our, our lifeblood and mm -hmm. not just for us, but for fish and wildlife. And they're the, uh, they're the birthing ground, they're the raising grounds for so many uh, species of uh, fish, aqua uh, aquatic animals. Insects and everything, right? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Rivers for Change was started in 2012. Uh, Danielle Katz and I, is really her idea. Um, she had done a source to sea uh, on the Mississippi in kayaks uh, a couple of years before and um, had grown up in a, in a river guiding community. And we've started funding um, uh, other people who were doing source to sea uh, adventures 
that have got either an, an educational or an outreach component, or they're uh, trying to raise awareness to issues on a particular river. Mm -hmm. um, there's, uh, uh, we're, we're funding some people who are going over to Pakistan to run a, a river that are pretty high up in the mountains over there. And what they're wow. after is they, what they really want to do is build a, uh, help some locals build a recycling center in Pakistan that's up near a, a point source pollution area that a lot of trash gets into the river, mm. um, ends up down uh, eventually in the ocean. And they've identified a spot with this little town and there's a bunch of uh, people up there that are trying to build a recycling center and they just need some help. They just need some funding. Wow. And are you going to go? No, no. Why not? Let's go. Because uh, I'm not the best person to do it. Um, yeah, but we could still supervise and look at it. That means uh, they're already on it. It's, it's, oh, it's uh, a nonprofit over there that you're just backing up. Uh, I don't even know that it's a nonprofit over there. It's 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 four guys over here uh, in the U.S. that are going over there to work on it, okay. um, and it, it looks like they're the it's their idea. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's these these aren't adventures for people at Rivers for Change. We're helping other people uh, um, do mm -hmm. the best that they can for rivers. What uh, source to see have you done? Uh, let's see. Um, Sacramento, uh, Russian uh, River, uh, Feather, uh, Tuolumne, um, parts of the San Joaquin. I didn't do all of the San Joaquin. Parts of, of, of others, um, American, uh, McCallamy. Um, wow, so all the California rivers, a lot of them. Well, a, a, a handful, a handful. There's, there's, uh, there's another 70 or 80, um, but uh, uh, yeah, the, those are the ones that I've been involved in. We need to do a French one, you and I together. That'd be right? good. We start in some, look, some area in the Alps and we go all the way down to the French Riviera. We start in, in Paris on the Seine and we go all the way to Bordeaux or whatnot. Like, that would be cool. <laughs> One of the two, there's, there's a few that we wanted to do that I haven't gotten to. Salinas uh, is one. Salinas. Uh, it's, it's got some issues in it with, um, you know, trash and urban runoff and impacts. Uh, it doesn't flow very often. You, you'd need a big rain in the coast, yeah. Southern California, Central Southern, to make it run. Um, and a little one called San Francisco Creek, which is down in Palo Alto. It's one of the only like urban creeks in the Bay Area that isn't channelized. Uh, and it actually has a salmon run on it. Oh, uh, that's cool. it's, it's down in the, in the single numbers. Because um, there's, uh, there's a dam up there called Searsville Dam that's near the, uh, the uh, linear particle accelerator in Palo Alto um, that, that blocks about, I, I want to say about 10 miles of uh, pretty good uh, salmon rearing habitat. And it's an old dam, uh, was built back around the early 1900s. Um, it's not necessarily that stable. It's got some problems. Mm. Uh, and, and yeah, if, if that dam would come down, could come down safely, uh, it would open up a lot of salmon habitat uh, right here in the Bay Area, which would be great. Mm. So do you want to go down that river? Like it would be white, white water. I, I would love to go. I would love to look at it and, and see it in its current state. And I'd even more love to look at it and see it in its uh, future state after that dam comes down, if that dam could come down, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, help um, publicize those two differences. Wow. So many adventures left to do it. Eh? Yeah. It's a book full. Every year, you once. Well, we'll have you and I. We'll have some adventures together. I want to do spend time with you. But um, it, it, but, but uh, helping other people see those. Uh, I mean, that's mm -hmm. almost as good as doing them myself. Mm. Yeah. So, how do you find those people? They come to you and they ask for help, and you're happy to help them. Uh, yeah, we publicize the micro grant program uh, uh, yearly, and then we try and do an educational. Um, source to see every year 
Uh, Sue Norman up on the Truckee River has uh, reached a lot of school kids with a program that we've helped her out with uh, doing the Truckee. It's not, that's not really a source to see because the Truckee ends up in uh, Pyramid Lake, uh, a, a closed system lake out in the Nevada yeah. desert, but it's a source to Pyramid Lake. Well, it's, it's long enough, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. like for a few days at least. It's, uh, no. uh, I think she did it with school kids over like a seven or eight day period. Okay. Yeah, yeah it takes a while. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, as a conclusion, if you had to give an advice to our listeners, one takeaway in terms of following your, I really want to do this, not specific to paddling, but if people feel I really want to do this, what would you give them as, as an advice? Hmm. Oh man, you're laying it on me thick. Um, What can go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just, you know, enjoy, you know, follow your heart, Uh, follow your heart and, and uh, try and, I mean, I've been pretty lucky in having the opportunities to to follow my heart, Um, but yeah, follow your heart, follow your dreams. I love it. I'm all about it. You know that. <laughs> um, second to last questions. The reveal of the song. Uh, I ask all my guests to listen to a song just before. Or, or tell us about one song that puts you in a good mood. Hmm. Um, uh, Aaron Copeland, uh, theme for the common man. Wow. Or is, it. is it fanfare fanfare for the common man aaron copeland okay and what what, what is it about that song that you love uh it's just a it um uh kind of reminds me of my father-in-law uh who yeah. died a few years ago uh yeah. bomb bomb gilman um yeah it's it's it's, it's a great piece okay it's instrumental there's no lyrics oh it's just music yeah Okay. Awesome. Well, I'll find it on YouTube and I'll put it at the end of the excerpt so people can listen to it. I'll send you the link. Yes, please. Where, where can people uh, follow you, follow the Rivers for Change and, and follow you? In- riversforchange.org. Um, you can like our Facebook page. Uh, we're doing a coastal cleanup, uh, California Coastal Cleanup Day, September 18th over in Point Richmond. Yeah. Um, we get out our uh, 18 foot long uh, five person inflatable paddle board, uh, which works out as just a, it's a great garbage barge. A platform, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like two, you know, California king size uh, mattresses, you know, all in one. Um, and we uh, uh, paddle over to a, a, a beach that collects a lot of trash and load it up. And um, yeah, we clean up a beach. This year, I think I'm going to do two. I found two beaches uh one's over by the chevron refinery and then one's over towards yeah. cost yeah and then you chose those beach because they're just efficient they, they're loaded they nobody cleans them either or well they're, they're west facing beaches they're not very accessible from um the land so west facing we get a lot of like west wind here in the in the bay um and these west-facing beaches that also have kind of a, a, an arc to them, like a cove, they act like a funnel uh, facing west. And the trash just goes down to the bottom of that funnel. And uh, it's what I think the military calls a target-rich environment uh, for right. trash. Um, and, and, you know, we, we can get a lot of plastics uh, off the beach before it gets out into the ocean in a, a pretty short amount of time. We do other cleanups. We do other stuff during the year, but that September 18th is, is just the next one that's coming up. Okay. Well, I'll put the link on, on the, on the exerg as well, so that if people can join you. That'd be great. That'd Although, be- you know, this podcast is worldwide. There might be people from India coming up. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. Share the passion for the ocean. Oh, listen, John, thank you so much. It was great. Thank you for sharing all, all these good tips and, and your personal life. It was, it was very nice. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Cyril. And I'll see you tomorrow for the workout.
Sounds good. I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Live it. Ta-da. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the link for uh, that music. Yes, please. I'll find it most likely. I'll just put the name, but send it to me. I'll make it easier. Okay. Merci, John. A bientôt. All right. See you, see you soon. Bye. Big hug. Bye-bye.